And let's go to the Lord together in prayer. Lord God, we do pray that uh, as you've already spoken to us in the song, in prayer, in, in, in our acts of worship, of offering, uh, that you continue by your Holy Spirit to guide us as we look at your words together, as we discuss our application to our lives. And Lord, that uh, you would teach each one uh, by your Spirit, direct to their hearts, ask that each person will bring something away from their time of worshiping you, that will be a treasure for them in this week, in these months, and Lord, something they can apply and, and, and in each time that they apply it, that it will help them in drawing closer to you. I pray this in your name, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Good morning. Uh, I'll introduce a little bit more about me in just a minute, but I wanted to say one thing. Whenever someone gets up here, when we speak from the Bible and speaking uh, from God's Word, we're not just taking sort of a cut and paste approach where we have a book of great wisdom. And if I need to look up uh, something about uh, marriage, I need to go look at this particular chapter and grab a little piece of nugget of wisdom about marriage. Or uh, if I need to uh, go and, and see how to love, I need to go find that piece over here. This is really just one story. Uh, this is only a part of the story. Uh, this is God's word communicated to us to let us begin to understand his story. This is about him. Uh, all that God does, all that he's about is revealing his glory. That's his ultimate purpose. And for our, his ultimate purpose for each of us is to reveal his glory to us in such a way that it restores our relationship to him. And our small stories become part of his one large great story. And so whenever someone gets up here and speaks from God's Word, we're just, we may speak on a topic today that you see living responsibly. Um, I'm going to talk to you about something that I struggle with and how God's Word has helped me, but by no means am I giving you, wow, I've got this sorted out. This is a lot more like coming to an, a, an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting or something and say that, you know, hi, my name is Mark Schleif. Uh, I struggle with responsibility and balancing my responsibilities. And all you would say, hi, Mark, you know, and we'd, we, would, and we would carry on. Um, that's, but that's the thing. It is part of the process of, of, of looking at God's Word is it leads us to look at Him. It leads us into relationship to Him. Um, I'm going to be drawing from some things that have helped me for several years uh, by a guy, uh, he's a Christian writer, pastor, counselor by the name of Paul David Tripp. And um, the, the particular book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands, has been helpful to, to Angie and I as we prepare to come to, to Beijing. And some of the lessons from that, that I'm still learning and still trying to apply, but that really have helped. And there's something he said. He said that people struggling with a sin-stained world often want explanations, we want explanations for, for circumstances, for why things happen. He said what we really need is imagination, the ability to see a world that's real but unseen, the ability to image that which is there all around us but not seen. And God is in the process of doing that as he reveals his glory to us, his glory which is in this time not fully seen but one day will be revealed completely to all of us. And so, in order to speak about what I, I'm going to talk about this morning, there's a couple of things we really need to understand about God. 
And I'll bring those up in, in scriptures here. One is that God is faithful to do what he says. God is faithful to do what he says. So if, if we see that he says something in scripture and he says, this is what I'm going to do, he's going to do it. Uh, a verse that goes with that, uh, Psalms 145.13 says this, says, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving toward all he has made. So that gives us an idea, a picture on how God regards us. And that's instrumental in what we're going to talk about, about balancing our responsibilities. We know the Lord is faithful to do what he says he will do. The second is that God is sovereign over all of his creation. It's interesting because in the men's meeting beforehand downstairs, we we're referencing some of the same verses from Paul talking uh, in Athens on Mar- to the uh, uh, Paragus, the, the, the group of um, philosophers that sat and talked all day about philosophy. And he goes and talks to them about God. And he says in Acts 17, 24 through 27, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't live in temples built by hands. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. He determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him Though he is not far from each one of us. And I don't have this on the screen, but the very next part of the next verse says, For in him we live and move and have our being. In him we live and move and have our being. So everything I'm going to talk about this morning deals with that God is faithful. God is sovereign. In him we move and have our being. Everything we do is defined by him, our relationship to him. Uh, my name's Mark Schleif. I have two jobs currently, two official jobs. One of them is a one of them is a uh, is sort of a fat job. It's um, uh, the other one is the the job I was initially sent here for. I was sent here along with my wife uh, by Bible Study Fellowship International to help in support of uh, interdenominational international Bible studies. We're kind of a front door. Uh, government knows all about us. Um, it's, it's just uh, a slow steps um, of bringing the, the organization into China. And my, my wife and I deal with uh, classes for expatriates. And so I was sent to help uh, another couple in starting one of those classes and, and to, to help in the teaching, the leading of, of a group of men in, in Bible study fellowship. And so that was uh, my first official job in coming to China. And my second job, God provided as soon as I got here. Uh, that was to become a teacher at a school. Now, I used to be a systems programmer. For the first 20 years of my career after college, I, I worked with computers. I did automation and then later did systems programming. Systems programming basically, and this is the point as I get about two sentences in, my wife listens patiently and her eyes glaze over and, and things. So I'll try to keep it within a couple of sentences. Um, systems programming is taking, is basically laying in the code that makes the computer system run. And so you take large quantities of information from various manuals and other sources. You try to compile it, you try to, to break it into useful sets and present it to the computer and hope you'll get an intelligible response and it won't just sit and blink at you. So it's very similar to teaching. 
to substitute students for the computer, and it's about the same thing. And so it's a natural shift to go into that. And so we, coming to, to here, formerly at International Academy of Beijing and now at um, Hope International School, Christian School, I serve as a, as a math teacher using the other side of my computer degree and as a, a vice principal. And um, the, the, the job is supposed to be 60% teaching and 40% administration. Well, then the, the, the number of classes grew, so it's 70% teaching and it's 40% administration. So I give my 110% every day to one job and then try to do the other. And that's kind of the key of what I'm going to talk to you about because it's how do you handle all those responsibilities? I also have three key roles. I'm a husband to Angie. I'm a father to two children that are grown, one married, one in college, and then two that are still in high school here. And I am also uh, have some responsibilities towards this church as an elder and as a member. As a, and so in each of those roles, there are very important responsibilities that have to be fulfilled. And the day comes and you go, I have this to do and I have this to do. What do you want me to do? <laughs> How do you want me to do it? And so I think a story that really helps um, kind of look at the, the contrast between these things is in Luke 10, the story of Mary and Martha, when we're first introduced to them. It says, uh, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. We see here a great thing. He met this family. They also have a brother named Lazarus. And Martha is, seems to be defined as the, the head of the household or maybe the oldest sister. She's the one who offers the hospitality. She does a really good thing here. And probably, based on Jewish customs, they came in. She's preparing and she's helping the servants and she's directing all the activities to prepare a meal for them. Mary most likely was sent in to help and supervise, make sure their feet were washed and they were cared for. And as Jesus is sitting and talking, she becomes enthralled by what he's saying. So we're going to see two aspects of the Christian life reflected in these two women. One is the activist life, the things that we do, the things that are very necessary. And the other is the contemplative life, the time spent listening to Jesus, listening to his spirit, listening to what he has to say. It goes on. It says that uh, Martha was distracted. And I think that, that word is a key, distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care? That's a big assumption here. Don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. I have a great sense of identification with Martha. Any of those? How many of you feel like Martha out there? You have all the work that you're doing and, and you, you, you know it's got to be done. You can't tear yourself away until you know that it's properly handled. And someone over there is just playing or doing or, or just kind of lollygagging around. Great word there. I don't know what the Chinese is for that. Um, the, just kind of playing around and or seems like not to be taking it seriously enough. Now, a lot of that's based on our personality type. God has wired us differently. God has designed us differently. And there is a great joy in having all those personality types together once we all figure out where we fit and what we should do best. But 
I can identify with Martha because my hardest thing is that I have this responsibility and this responsibility and this responsibility. And then, Lord, you say to rest, to listen to you, and what do I do? And even my times of rest, I have to schedule. That's, that's the way that my personality works. And so how do you keep these things in balance? How do you do these things? But most of all, Martha comes and she says, she's supposed to be helping me. Lord, tell her to help me. Okay, then it says, the Lord answers and he says this, Martha, Martha. The Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Or even one, and I've used an alternative thing there from the NIV. It, it says, but, but only one thing, but there's, I like this translation, few things are needed or only one. Mary has chosen what is better. And it will be not, and not be taken away from her. Another translation might say, Mary has chosen a choice portion. Mary has a choice to make. You have a choice to make. What she has chosen from the choices given to her is better than what else she could have done. Now, it sounds almost as though Jesus is chastising Martha. How ungrateful. She is rushing around fixing a meal for him. How ungrateful. If he is chastising her for doing that, so that must not be it. Because if anything, Jesus had great love towards his family. If you want to see, if you read other aspects later in the scripture where their brother Lazarus passes away. In, in um, chapter 11 uh, and chapter 12, of Luke, there, the, when Lazarus passes away, Martha shows great faith. And understanding. And then later, Mary shows great love when she comes and she anoints Jesus' feet. So there's great qualities on display in these women. So I don't think God is saying through this account that we should not be doing the work that Martha was doing. Now, there are some who took it that way. Uh, Martin Luther, in one of his sermons, actually said, yeah, Jesus is getting on to her. Because he was thinking from a perspective of human works versus faith. And he went on to give a great sermon, a very accurate, very biblical sermon about how we cannot use human works to earn God's pleasure. But this is what he said. He said, um, the Lord, he imagines Jesus speaking to her. The Lord says to her, Martha, your work must be chastised and considered as nothing. If left undone, then I could do it myself or the devil must do it. For I want no work but the work of Mary, that is faith, that you believe the word as Mary does. I mean, his, his later points were very good, that our works don't add to God's pleasure. But I kind of, I didn't put the words up there because I don't want that to be your takeaway. I don't, I don't want that to be the, the main thing because I don't think he quite got Martha's situation correct in this context. I don't think Jesus despised the work she was doing, but there are those words You're distracted, you're worried, you're upset by many things. Where does that come from? Where does that come from from when we are are fulfilling our responsibilities? Where does the worry and the distraction? Um, A modern Christian writer, Alice Matthews, put it this way. You know, Martha's work is necessary in the church, in the home, but Mary gets the halo. Isn't that great? Isn't that what it feels like sometimes? There's all that work, but then someone comes up and says, let's just work. There is work in this service. 
every bit of the worship. It takes a lot of work. There's work in, a, in preparing a, a talk like this. There's a lot of balance between times of contemplation and listening to God and saying, what do you want me to say in work and fleshing it out and putting it down on paper and then work. Josh takes it and he puts it up on, on nice looking uh, displays on the screens for us and things like that. There's work and there's listening to God. There's a, there's a balance of sorts and it's not always in equal proportions of time, but there's both of those are very important in our experience. So we need both the activist life and the contemplative, contemplative life So what's Jesus saying? What is he saying to us? He seems to be saying just specifically in this passage as he talks to Mary or to Martha, he just says, this is not, you're worried about many things, but this is not something you're responsible to correct. This is Mary's choice and she's chosen well and you have a choice too. You can do what you're doing with or without the worry and the distraction. But you're worried about many things, and he says, but only few things are needed. And that's kind of where the principle that has helped me comes into place. You know, work is not a problem. Work is not a sin. Work's not a result of sin. Though I think we've taken that position in our own lives and even in the church sometimes over the centuries. But God instituted work in the garden before man ever fell. We are made and designed to work. Even the word responsibility, I think we use another R word sometimes. A lot of times we talk about our rights. We have the right to assemble. We have the right to free speech. We have the right to an honest wage. If we were to replace that with the word responsibility, I think it would give us a much better society and a better picture of what we need. We have the responsibility to peaceably assemble. We have the responsibility of free speech. We have the responsibility to earn an honest wage. God has given us these things. You know, rights are only given by a higher authority anyway. But if we see it, rights are given to us. Responsibilities are how we carry them out. And so God has given us responsibilities from the time he created us. We are made to be revelation receivers, not generators. We receive from him. We, we're made to reflect his light, not generate our own. The light that comes with, from within a believer is from the Holy Spirit. That's the light of the world, the true light that came into the world with Jesus Christ. And so in all these things, he has work for us to do. The greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul. In Deuteronomy, it says strength. When Jesus says it again, In Matthew, he says, with all your heart, soul, and mind. So we need the mind and we need the heart both engaged in everything he has us doing. We're listening to God and we're carrying it out in practical work. He needs the hands of men yielded to him and then doing his work. He needs the minds and wills of men and women doing his work yielded to him. So... How can we fulfill our responsibilities without overreaching or taking on too much? Generally, you're going to encounter three classes of people. You have the irresponsible, those who will not take responsibility for what they should. And it doesn't take a lot of definition. It's just there's, they, they fail to 
to shoulder the responsibilities that God has given them, possibly because they fail to recognize them. Sometimes it's a flaw of character, but often it's a, it's a lack of information or understanding. Irresponsible. But on the other extreme, and we find, this, we find both of these things in ourselves, we have the over-responsible. That is, we take responsibility for things that God has either not assigned or equipped us to do. And I think Martha's doing that in this case. She's taking responsibility for Mary when it's not hers to do. And there are a lot of things we have in our lives that we look at and say, oh, this is so hard. And God's sitting back there going, of course it is. It's impossible. It's impossible for you to do. I've neither called you nor equipped you. If I don't equip you, I won't call you. If I call you, I will equip you. That's the promise of the Holy Spirit, is that he, he will equip us. He will enable us to do all things through him who strengthens us. And so, as we go through the third category of people, that when many of us, this is probably the largest category, we have the irresponsible, the overly responsible, and the genuinely confused. Okay? What things are our God-given responsibilities and jobs? What things do we entrust to him? And at times we, we, we go back and forth between either of the other two groups because we're in this third. And that's an honest place to be. And that's why the relationship with God is a relationship. There are many times in a marriage that I fall in the role of genuinely confused. In a relationship as a husband, a relationship as a dad, there's a lot of things I've been confused about what I should be doing and what I shouldn't be doing how far I should go or how little I should go. And that's a process of relationship. And in relationship with God, he does the same things in us. He teaches us and takes us step by step through our experiences into this. And so I wanted to share with you uh, this diagram. Again, this is from Paul David Tripp, and I've presented it before, but I want to flesh it out a little bit today. Uh, Diagram of concerns and responsibility. Let's start with concern. We have a circle of concern. This is everything that concern us, okay? Everything that concerns you. And within that circle, there are things that are my responsibility and there are things that are not. Within that is a smaller set and that's the circle of responsibility. So I would describe the things that are in the outer blue ring there as things that concern me but are beyond my ability and thus not my responsibility. Those are the things I need to identify and entrust to God. Now, we pause just a second with the circle of concern because I think sometimes we even need to be careful how big or how defined our circle of concern is. I notice every time I'm back in the the U.S. uh, in the summer, something that I used to do that I'm really glad not to be around anymore, I used to spend a lot of time watching 24-hour news channels, you know, because they're on 24 hours and there's always something going on. What I found was it's a, it's a very huge waste of time and emotion. And the thing that, and, and what really brought that home to me was one day a friend and I were sitting at lunch um, off from our, our computer job. We were eating pizza in a, in a little place in Little Rock. And 24-hour news channels on the TV, and it was a really slow news day. And so they we're sitting in Arkansas. They're covering the story of a horse stuck in the mud in Texas. This horse 
has, has gotten stuck in the mud and it's on its side. And so there's a helicopter flying over showing a picture of the horse. And, and I care enough about horses that I respect them as beings. I don't really enjoy riding them. Like Sherlock Holmes said, they're dangerous at both ends and uncertain in the middle. But the, the, um, but the, this horse was down. Somewhere down in Texas, the helicopter, they start bringing in, as news patterns do, the expert to talk about how long can a horse lay on its side before the lungs start to fill up with liquids. Why on earth are we watching this on TV? But the same thing happens even on genuine concerns. We get all concerned about a child that's lost out in the desert somewhere in Utah when I'm sitting on the east coast of the United States. And I spend so much time and emotion worried about someone over there when really there's someone right next door to me that that time and concern can be addressed and it may be falling also within my circle of responsibility. Now, God will lead our concerns. God will lead our concerns to become our responsibilities. He will give us a concern for people in another country or culture and he will take us there. Or he will lead us to give or he will lead us to invest and to pray for them. And so there are ways that God moves things out of our circle of concern into our area of responsibility. Responsibility are things God has called me to do. I can't pass on to anyone else. And the only proper response is to seek to understand and to faithfully obey. Now, how can we do this? Let's hold on that one just a second. We can begin by making a list of the things. What are my concerns? What are my responsibilities? What has God actually given me to do? And what has he not given me to do? And I'll try to illustrate that for you in just a second. But um, what are the things that only God can handle? Or that he has given and that people can do, but it's not me. And then take it to a trusted friend, because usually our first list won't match God's list. Take it to a Christian friend that can, can look at it for you and say, you know, you really can't do this. Or where's the scriptural basis for that? I know that's important, but that's something we have to give over to God. Or, no, this, yes, you pray for God to help, but you've got to do something about this. This is something that's up to you. And so, at the end, we get a better sense of what God actually expects from us and will enable us to do by his grace. Let's talk about parenting. And, and again, we're not quite to that next slide. Let's say you have a teenager, and your teenager is going through a time of questions and rebellion. Um, against what you're giving them as a parent, your instructions, your beliefs. And there's a part of you that, that, that's just really concerned for them. Your concerns involve that their heart will change, that they'll repent. They may need salvation. You're concerned for their safety. You worry every time they go out the door. You also are concerned about taking care of them, helping them, encouraging them, disciplining and challenging them. And those last five things I said are things that you are actually responsible to do. You are responsible for their daily care. You are responsible to help and encourage. You are responsible to discipline. You are responsible to challenge. Same is true in teaching. But you cannot change their heart. You cannot save them. You cannot make them obey from the heart, even if they comply in their actions. And you cannot keep them safe, ultimately. Only God can do that. You cannot keep them safe if they go on a mission trip. You cannot keep them safe if you keep them at home and keep them locked up in their room. And, 
and yet you can do the things at your responsibility. You don't leave knives laying around. You put a safety gate at the head of the stairs when you have a toddler. You do those things, but only God ultimately can keep them safe. And so it's a balance. It's an agreement. It's a relationship with him about what do I do, what do you do? What happens if we try to take too much responsibility? That's where we get what's called the mini-Messiah. I am responsible for changing those things. I'm going to make that kid a Christian if it's the last thing I do. It's not going to happen because that's beyond your ability and your equipping. Um, You can offer what you want to do. What happens is we fail at doing what only God can do, and we also begin to neglect the responsibilities that he has given us to do. And the opposite is just as bad. We say, okay, fine, I've had it with this kid. Lord, you're going to have to do something with it. I'm no good at being their mom. I'm no good at being their dad. And then we get what's called the spiritual vacationer. We actually have given up on the things that are our responsibilities. And we shrink our circle, and it gets too small. Another example would be, let's say I've had an argument with someone. I've had a disagreement. And, and we, we really are at odds with a Christian brother. And, and there are things that only God can do in relating to his heart. There are things that God will do in relating to my heart, but I have responsibility. Scripture says I need to go and make reconciliation. I can't just say, I've got that worked out in my heart. I'm good with God. I just leave the rest in God's hands. There are specific responsibilities I have to go to that brother or to that sister and make reconciliation. An area that, um, that's very clear in Scripture, for instance, is how do we treat our enemies? It says in Romans, God says that you do good to those who hate you. Bless those who despise you. You know, treat them kindly. Over, don't return evil for evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not take vengeance or revenge. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. That's a very clear delineation of what we can do and what we can't do. He says, don't take vengeance. That's mine. You couldn't even fairly give justice the way God can. But at the same time, don't just sit and take it. Actively work to overcome evil with good. We have a responsibility. I think one of the things that comes down to, and that I struggle with this some, and I see other people struggling, is seeking God's will. Now, this could be a whole other talk, and we won't do that today. But the God, um, I like uh, Pastor Kevin DeYoung has a good, good way of breaking down um, When we talk about God's will, what are we talking about? Well, there's actually three different areas of God's will. There's there's God's will of decree. God says this will happen. There will come a flood on the earth. There will be a judgment. Throughout Scripture, we see God decree something. doesn't matter if you like it, agree with it, try to prevent it. It will happen because God decreed it. Then there's God's will of desire. In his commandments, he says, don't kill, don't murder, don't steal. Can we still do those things? We can, but we're violating God's will of desire. We're we're violating what he desires for us. So we're not talking about those wills, but when we want his will of direction, Lord, where do I go? This comes in handy. If we go, but not the spiritual vacation part, but just a circle. What are the areas 
that are my concerns that only God can take care of. Only God knows what's ahead. Only God knows the circumstances. We have a, a saying in the South that's, uh, I'll be there, the good Lord willing, and the creek don't rise. It says, I have my intention, but the Lord's in control of the circumstances and everything else that gets there. James says the same thing in Scripture, but just not so southerny. Um, and, so, and so he says, don't plan to say, I'll be here and I'll do this and this is what will happen. You don't know. Those things are only in God's hands. That's a concern. But my responsibility, God, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind. Heart, soul, and mind. God gave us a will. God gave us the ability to reason and make decisions. We don't just put that on autopilot and say, God, you just have to reveal it to me. Give me a miracle. I think the thing we need to do is that guidance, spiritual guidance, is a matter of active, obedient faith. We take it and we say, I will use the principles, I'll use the perspectives and themes of Scripture as best I can, as taught to me by Christian brothers and sisters, as, as I've read, in my, as the Holy Spirit talks to my heart as I read God's Word. And then I will examine the options before me, and prayerfully applying those principles, I'll make a decision. So many times we get paralyzed at that point because we fail to realize that there's responsibilities involved. And so the thing I would close with here is this. There... When we look at it this way, there are no leaps of faith. There's only steps of faith. That God knows all the areas of concern. I trust. My responsibility, you see the word is up there, is to trust. But then within my area of responsibility, the word that we would apply is to obey. I obey. And as, I, as he leads me through each of those steps, I trust him for what I cannot control or I know is a concern, but I cannot do it myself. But with something he's given me, I obey. God, we may sit around. God will equip us. He will not do it for us. He expects us to go and put these actions. That's why when we get back to Martha and Mary, I don't think Jesus Christ had anything against what Mary did. And we see, as you see further in her story, how he, he worked her in this process of faith and seeing the power of God revealed as he brought her brother back from the dead after he'd been in the tomb four days. And he walks out. And Mary and Martha, always practical. Mary, always with a heart seeking after God. And he loves them both equally in them and in us as we seek to give to God what is God's. Kind of like Jesus saying, render to Caesar what is Caesar's, God what is God's. Give to God what is God's and do ourselves what he's given us to do. I hope that is helpful as you're continuing your own journey in relationship with him. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for your goodness and your grace. And Lord, I thank you that this is a, this is a, life is a matter of both the journey and the destination. The destination is wonderful and is awesome. But at the same time, you have so much to teach us as you walk with us on the journey. 
That's the process of life as we, we grow to know more and more of you. And I pray that you give us that guidance this week um, in new ways, in new insights. And in the Lord, especially for others like myself who wrestle with the responsibilities, I pray for your peace. I pray for your sense of, of what is yours, what's completely yours, and what is theirs, and how you have it all in your control. I pray this in your name, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.